Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Elizabeth Woodson and Adam Hawkins. We're going to be talking about discipleship today, specifically family discipleship. I'm very proud of a project we just finished and just released through Crossway, but had the honor of writing a book with Matt Chandler on family discipleship and, and how important it is and, and some, uh, some helps on how to get involved in it. So I'm excited about this episode personally, and I'm looking forward to kind of flipping the script a little bit here, getting asked some questions on our own podcast. This should be fun. Adam Elizabeth, let's go. Let's do it. Adam, who, what adult has been the most influential person in your spiritual life? Who would you point to? Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus and any of the apostles and no John the Baptist, who's had the most influence? Man, that is a really great question. Um, there's so many, honestly, but I'd say my mom has been one of the most influential people in my life. Just from the time I was young, a, a gospel presence, and even in my wayward years, just faithfully praying. And I've watched the way she's loved people, and she's always loved people with, um, whether I knew it at the time or not what it was, she's always loved people with the love of Christ. And that always had such a major, major impact on me. So yeah, I would say my mom. That's sweet. I hope she's listening right now. Is she a big Culture Matters listener? Loves us. She <laughs> is one of the five that listens every week. So <laughs> that's awesome. Five hundred thousand. I think you didn't quite finish that. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Elizabeth Woodson. How about you? Who's been? I'm very curious. Who's been the most influential adult in your life? If I had to choose one person, you know, I think my parents are probably the most influential people, but my mom um, mm-hmm. and just her good sobriety about life and the faithfulness of the Lord and um, the expectation you should have. My mom is big one. I was like, life is hard. Um, but but the Lord is with you in the midst of that. And so how do you navigate seasons of maturity and really point your eyes towards the Lord? Um, and so I've just seen my mom live that out in some really powerful ways that me and my sister look back on now. We're like, oh, mom, man, like our mom was really holding it down in some ways that required Jesus, um, that as kids, we just weren't paying attention to. Um, But my mother is just, she loves the Lord. And um, any of that, that falls on me. (laughs) I'm thankful for. Well, thank God for that. I actually, I mean, I had a conversation with somebody today that the opposite, I mean, their, their mom was their tormentor, and that's certainly the case too. But Either way, I mean, even in that case, the mom was the most influential person. You know, even if for a negative, in a negative direction, uh, moms and dads, man, that is a incredibly potentially influential position in somebody's life. And so before we jump into kind of the specifics of the book, um, uh, you guys are both involved in ministry. You're also both in families. You are uh, somebody's son, somebody's daughter. You are somebody's uh, sister or brother. You're somebody's, you know, cousin, uncle, aunt. I don't know. You guys, we're all in families, and anytime you're talking to a human being, almost always you're talking to a member of a family. So when we talk about family discipleship, and we can define it here in a minute, but why is family discipleship an important topic? 
And I think it's what you said, Adam. We There's a one thing we can't choose, and that's our family. And whether it is time where we are being poured into or time that leaves us with wounds that we have to heal from in our adulthood, it just is the amount of influence and impact the way that we are shaped in that, those environments. And so the mechanism for the gospel, I think we see it in scripture, um, the importance and elevation of the family and not just immediate family. You know, I think that there is this sense of extended family communities that are just super important. The aunts and the uncles, the cousins, all those things of how do we come together um, to create just communities for the Lord in a really significant way. But Anytime I talk to someone and they're going through something really significant that has stayed with them for a long period of time, I usually can kind of trace it back to something that's happened in their family, um, yeah. if for good or for bad. And so I think it just is, it's such a significant place of influence that in our current culture, man, it's just broken down. And we can see the ways that that is impacting people negatively and how we as ministers are stepping in to do some things that might have should, ha- should have happened in that family unit. Yeah, and everybody's, everybody's family is somewhere on the spectrum of dysfunction, right? Nobody's got this perfect family, but uh, all of us are impacted by the dysfunctions of our family. And there's certainly a lot of collapse of the American family. People talk about that. There's certainly a pervasive epidemic of fatherlessness. But the influence that a family has means when when somebody hears the call of scripture to be a disciple maker in their own home means that is a critical position to play and so I, I i personally believe for obvious reasons i mean i've put my money where my mouth is on this that parents this is the call of the scripture if you are in the position of parent but whatever position you're at in your family you're called to be a disciple maker there You're called to look at, and Elizabeth pointed this out, but if you want to get to know somebody, one of the biggest questions you can ask is about family of origin. Like, what is your family like? What was growing up like? Tell me about your parents or your siblings or your household growing up. Because family of origin reveals something about us. One of the other best questions is tell me about your spiritual history. And those two will often overlap. And hopefully, as generations go on, we'll see faithful uh, spiritual journeys, faithful family of origin stories that come from the families that we get to pastor and minister to, because what we're trying to equip them for is how to navigate the the flawed families that we all exist in, in ways that fulfill the call that God gave us uh, to pursue and, and to follow God. Now, I'm really excited about this. Some people may think family discipleship is a weird topic to talk about on a on a show about culture, but one of the most important tenets, I think, in this book, and, and really what has to do with why we talk about this, is we are raising kids, uh, raising a generation today in a in a uh, increasingly secularized, increasingly maybe even anti-Christian culture. And therefore, the discipleship of your family has to not only be about like, well, this is what we believe is true, and has to not only believe about, oh, uh, not only be about memorizing scripture, but also being about distinguishing it from what's not true and equipping our kids with the kind of boldness it will take to stand uh, against the current of culture and still believe what we do, still act on what we believe. And th- that is difficult. I mean, uh, Adam, where do you see? Uh, family discipleship being an important aspect of training our kids to be countercultural. Yeah, I think it goes to exactly what you said. I mean, when I think about the unique challenges of it, 
you know, of, of raising kids today and a family discipleship today, most of that one direction you can take that is the, the cultural challenges. And so, and you were just speaking to those, you know, we are arguably more differentiated than we've ever been. The narratives and the story that used to hold, or if it ever did, right, but that held us together, the backdrop of sort of Western civilization and Christianity or Christendom or whatever, you know, those stories have been challenged and eroded. And so um, more than anything else today, you know, uh, this hyper individualism has really borne its fruit. And now everyone is very atomized. You know, I can't assume anymore that I perceive morality the same way you do, etc. Where maybe, you know, it's probably an overstatement, but maybe in the, it, you know, in the bygone era, you could, you know, you could to a certain degree assume that, oh, yes, we are all have some Judeo Christian set of values or something. And so sociologists have been talking about this for a long time the diff- increased atomization and differentiation of society. But then also, I think another huge, maybe even unprecedented, um, thing that's happening right now is social media, the internet, the information age, uh, access to information so readily. And this gets to the point about discipleship being a cultural thing, but like just the, the idea that you can open your phone and get any information you want immediately presents so many unique challenges and means that we have to be really intentional about how we're discipling our kids. Yeah. No more is it, I remember my dad telling a story where his like mom would basically in the summer just open the door at like 8 a.m. after breakfast and say, see you when the sun comes, you know, goes <laughs> down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, I think to, if you told that to like my age today, the parent, they'd be like, we couldn't do that. Not, not just because, you know, there's cars in the street or whatever, but because it's like, no, half those kids would just step outside and not know what to do because they're just on their phone or whatever. Right. And, yeah. or whatever, you know, um, it's just a different, there's a different challenge there. And well, I, think I think it makes d- discipleship all the more important. But yeah, yeah, I think there's kind of two, two things you're fighting against too. Like there's an internal drive for any parent to want to foster a kid that's going to be popular and loved, universally loved. You want your family to be impressive. And we have to fight that kind of cultural drift that says, I just want my kid to be accepted. No, we have to prepare our kids to be unacceptable to a culture that doesn't accept what we believe or, or doesn't accept Christians. But there's also a cultural perception where uh, it's kind of countercultural right now to indoctrinate, uh, to teach somebody what they should believe seems countercultural mm. unless you're teaching them to kind of believe a, a secular idea or a Unitarian idea of, of everybody, everything's okay. But the Christian ideal for parenting is significant indoctrination, is teaching our teaching anybody to obey everything Christ commanded. That's the Great Commission, and the Great Commission certainly comes home. And so family discipleship is an important aspect of how we fulfill mm. the Great Commission in our own home as parents. Yeah, you're right, Adam. I mean, I think um, that idea that discipleship comes home. I know you're a dad. I know you are a. Um, I know you are a pastor, and so I know this is something you've thought about a lot. I want to tell you, uh, just to honor you publicly, is to say, man, I'm super proud of you that you've even found time uh, to write a book, but to write such a good book. Um, I know this is a, a a topic you're passionate about, but I'm I'm proud of you, man. You did a great job, and everybody should get it. So 
why don't you pitch us though? So give us your pitch. Uh, what's your <laughs> elevator pitch for the book? Man, that's very kind. Thank you, Adam. Those are very kind words. And I am proud of the project. I hope it is helpful and I hope it has ramifications for a long time for a lot of us. I, I hope it makes a big difference. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of ways to pitch a book on family discipleship, but I think the easiest way to recognize it maybe in our culture is uh, you would see if, if you got engaged, it would not be abnormal to pick up a book on marriage preparation and to meet with a pastor or a counselor to do what we would call premarital counseling. But there's kind of two points in your life where that would be really helpful that it doesn't really exist. It, it, when you first want to ask somebody out or be asked out, there's not really a lot of like, okay, well, let's go get dating counseling. Let's talk about how to be a good boyfriend, how to be a good girlfriend, how to break up well, how to how to ask out well. We don't have great boyfriend and girlfriend academies. You know, that's just, we're not cranking that out. And so we, we, we suck at dating. Let's just be honest as a culture. Not great at it. Elizabeth, amen? Amen. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, when you, when you, Find out you're going to be a parent. The Lord gives you a gestation period often where you have months of preparation, but most of that time in our culture is spent preparing for physical needs. Where you're thinking about how will I take care of this baby's physical needs? How will we deliver this baby, feed this baby, change this baby? And then when it comes to parenting, a lot of the books that we read are going to be about how to make choices about sleep habits and eating habits and school choices and behavior and and how to uh, discipline our kids. And all those things can be really, really helpful. We felt like, though, if you read the Bible, what it is calling parents to do more than just make wise choices is to disciple their kids. And I feel like there's very few. There are some good ones out there, but there's very few resources that fit this this niche to say, if I am about to be a parent, or maybe I just became a Christian with kids, or I need to start thinking about how do we create a plan for the spiritual leadership of my home, if this is the call of the Lord, how are we going to do it? And so for me, there's a million uh, marriage preparation books. There's a million books on how to be a great husband, be a great wife. But to be a disciple maker in your own home, which the Bible talks about over and over and over again, we wanted to create a book that's not only like philosophical, here's some ideas that you should consider, but is practical as well to say you don't have to buy some separate workbook that you work through after you like the book, but rather a book that would have everything in there to say, by the time you're done reading this, we want, if you're married, you and your spouse to be on the same page with what it's going to look like to lead your home spiritually. And if you're a single mom or a single dad, that you'd have the encouragement to sit down with your biblical community. And then if you're a church leader or a school leader, that you'd have some language to build around to, to help clarify what is the expectation for a Christian parent when it comes to discipling their kids. And so that's why we wrote this book. And I, man, I'm really pleased with what the Lord's done with it already. Man, um, that's so exciting to hear about the... It's funny, you talking about this, just because we, my wife and I will oftentimes do like um, premarital counseling for couples who are about to get married. And there are, there's just so many resources. Uh, but to think that maybe one of the other most important things that can happen in your life, right, is having children and um, just how few resources there are to prepare you to even start thinking about what it means to be intentional with your kids as it relates to teaching them about God. Um, and I should clarify, ask, there's a lot of resources out there. Like there's a lot of, you could buy this kid's Bible or this kid's album sure. or this kid's workbook, but they, they're like part, they're, it's almost like you gave them a resource without a plan. And so we wanted yes. to write a book that'd be like, here's where those albums and those resources, those children's Bibles would fit in. Cause you're trying to accomplish what? 
What is the plan yep. that your household is is orchestrating? Yes. What What would you say, Adam? When you so like when you as you're writing this book, um, I, and I think this is a helpful thing because sometimes we're just assuming it. But like, do you see as you're writing this book? Do you go to the scripture? Is there a place you're going in the scriptures? Um, that is telling you what this plan is or what this looks like. Does the Bible say that we need to be discipling our kids? I think we sort of alluded to it, but I don't want to assume it. it how is sure. the Bible talking about how should we disciple our kids? Well, I think there's a lot of overt ways where the Bible says, like Deuteronomy 6 is the one people always point to, where it says you're going to yeah. talk about these things. It's where Christ calls the greatest commandment, and it says you're going to talk about these things with your kids. When you get up, when you go to bed, when you walk along the way, you're going to post it. But it's also, um, when you look at the parables of Christ, you think about the parable of the talents, where where Christ points out the Lord has given you something, and it's to be invested for His kingdom's sake. And I think about that a lot when I think about parenting. Think about the Lord has given you something really significant and a really clear call with what to do with it. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to hide it in the sand and hope something turns out well? Or are you going to try to do everything you can with what the Lord gave you in order to uh, see His kingdom built? And you think about any scripture, the Great Commission, about making disciples, anything about when Christ sees the Samaritans coming out of the city and he says to his disciples, look, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we can say the same things about parents. Man, there's tons of kids, but very few really great moms and dads are discipling them. You have an opportunity in this generation to be what the Lord has called you to be. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be intimidating. It could be very, very simple. And that was one of the goals of the book as well is to say, man, to lead your home spiritually, you do not have to be a theological wizard. You don't have to be an Elizabeth Woodson Bible teacher. You don't have to be an Adam Hawkins pastor. You can be mom and dad who are just getting to know Christ themselves and they're leading their kids to know the God that they are still getting to know. You can be imperfect. And that's another thing we see in the scripture over and over again is the call to repentance. And that's something we want our kids to see in us is a repentant modeling where we're saying, hey, mom and dad, we make mistakes too. This is how an imperfect person is gonna follow God. This is how an imperfect person is gonna navigate the situation and be wise. And so, man, there's very few things that I could find in scripture where I could not uh, leverage that to say, this is the same thing that we want to see in your household because it is, it's discipleship. It's teaching our kids to obey everything that Christ commanded. Old Testament, New Testament, here we go. Yeah, man, you put that so beautifully. Um, and I'm glad you went to like Deuteronomy 6, but then also took it to stewardship. I think what you said at the end there, though, is so important. It's like, yes, you're supposed to be doing this day and night, right? Deuteronomy 6. And yes, God has given you this beautiful gift and, and, and a family to steward um, and to be intentional with. And I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed. But what you said at the end there to say, hey, but it does, it's not rocket science. You don't have to, you don't have to be overwhelmed by it. Here's, here's some simple ideas. How, how did you come up with those ideas? I mean, I guess I'm kind of asking a process question, but like as somebody who's never written a book, um, and, uh, somebody who doesn't feel like an expert about anything, uh, how did you go about sort of, I don't know, uh, gaining the knowledge to, to put this stuff down and what did it look like writing it? I'll tell you, it's not, we didn't pull these out of thin air. We talk about the family discipleship framework of modeling and time moments and milestones. And that is something, I mean, it started uh, at a meeting in April 
2012 where uh, Cassie Bryant and Caroline Smiley and I were sitting down at the Dallas campus. We were the family ministry staff, and we were just trying to figure out how are we going to help parents see what their responsibility is and what the church's responsibility is when it comes to family discipleship. And then we took those ideas to the communication staff and to the next-gen staff across all the campuses of the village, which is, at the time, I think was maybe 25 or 30 people. And we spent two or three days together in a room clarifying these ideas of what does it mean uh, to have uh, family discipleship time, family discipleship moments, family discipleship milestones, and clarifying that stuff was really galvanizing for us as a team, but also helped us create language as a church to equip our parents with what their expectation was, and then we could equip them for that to be a team together. So it certainly was not ideas that just came out of my head and we put on paper, but these are things that we've been working on for a long time, now for almost a decade, and have been using in ways that we have found really, really helpful, which is why we felt like this would be something helpful for people just beyond us. And that's why we we sat down and, and wrote the book. Honestly, it wasn't that hard because one, I'm very passionate about it, but two, I just, I really believe in it. I believe that it's really helpful framework for thinking about how you lead your family. You know, I really um, love that, Adam, because sometimes you'll have books out there that will tell you why something's important and then leave you to figure out how to bring that important concept down to the ground. And so with time, moments, and milestones, you really have some hooks that people can hang their hats on. of like, okay, I need to be active in this in my household. And here's a good framework for me to approach that. So when you think about time, um, moments, and milestones, like what are some examples of those that parents can think about, oh, this is a place that I can lean into um, to help disciple my kids? That's a great question. That's a part of the advantage of having two authors for this book is that Matt and I are in two different parenting stages. He's parenting teenagers. I'm parenting kids in elementary school. We both care a lot about next-gen ministry as pastors. But uh, So uh, an example of time might be for each of us a little bit different, and that's okay. Each family is different. Each kid is different. You guys know this. You know, you have siblings. You know that you and your sibling are different people, and you have different preferences. And so uh, we, while we're planning and helping parents plan, we're not saying, you know, create the kid you want instead of the kid you've got. We're saying, look at the kid you've got and think about how to lead them to the God you follow. And so for a time, which is setting aside kind of intentional appointed times uh, to to build around the rhythm of the family's life, to talk about gather around the gospel. So it, it, it'd be set up times. You're saying at this time, we're going to do this in the Griffin family. Every night when we put our kids to bed, we are reading the scripture with them. We are praying with them. We are singing a song. I have a verse for each one of my boys that I I bless them each with before we go to bed. And we have uh, made it so ordinary and normal that if I were to be home putting them to bed and we didn't do that, it would be strange. They would say, Dad, what happened to, to family discipleship time? Why aren't we doing that? Because it's so normal for us. And at our kids' age, when, we're all, when they're all going to bed at the same time, and it's part of our normal family rhythm, it works really well for us to do that consistently. It's not our only family discipleship of time. I mean, we go to church together. We have other things we do together. We serve together. And those are appointed times we do that. Like uh, this next week, I'll, I'll speak at a couple different places and I'll bring one of my boys with me and it'll be an opportunity to disciple them. And that's family discipleship time. We've got a time set aside to do that. For Matt's family, that's a little bit older than mine. He talks about how his son and him will go out for breakfast once a week and talk about the scripture, talk about what's going on in his life and and just get a chance to catch up. And his wife will take out their daughters each individually once a week and do that. And that's the stage they're at or that's how it works for their family. Now for moments, moments are more like the spontaneous everyday opportunities 
to, to teach your kids about the Lord. We talk about godly characteristics and, uh, and godly character, and we talk about the characteristics of God. What is God like? And so, man, there's so many opportunities throughout the day to do that. And it's, it's those uh, kind of irreplaceable, non-renewable moments that we want to leverage for the gospel whenever we can. So in our family, we have, and, and in the book, we talk about uh, kind of creating some language or using some scriptures on a regular basis to point these things out. And that can be when you're disciplining a kid, it can be really easy to just discipline the kid, tell them, don't do that again. You know better. But it's also an opportunity for a family discipleship moment to point to the grace of God. Uh, in our family, you know, when my kids were really, really little, and we used to ask them a question when they'd get in trouble, like, hey, does God love you right now when you're in trouble? And their instinct was to say, no, God doesn't love me. And we know as Christians, that's just not true. So it's a teachable moment for us to say, no, God loves you even when you've made the mistakes. It's actually why Christ came to die for you, loved you that much. And you know what? Your mom and your dad, they love you right now as well. And at the same time, our behavior, what you just did was unacceptable. It's not the way Griffins behave. We're not going to do that again. We're going to try our best to fight that urge, to fight that temptation. But what we want to be as a family is taking advantage of every moment we have like that. Uh, whether it comes uh, because an ambulance passes on the street, we want to pray over whatever happened there, or whether it's we're at a, a funeral or a wedding or we're at, just um, seeing somebody be kind and we're pointing that out and being encouraging. It's leveraging those everyday opportunities. And then the last one is milestones. And milestones are kind of a more significant version of both of those. It's whatever the highest points and lowest points of your life at, it's those opportunities to point out to the faithfulness of God. So a low point might be um, when you lose a loved one. That's unexpected, but it is a milestone event in somebody's life. Or if somebody has suffered abuse or if somebody's been through a terrible breakup, or God forbid, a family goes through a divorce. Those are milestones. It's opportunities to point to how God is still faithful even when things are difficult. Or it might be something really celebratory. It might be when a kid gets saved or when a kid gets baptized or when a kid gets married or graduates high school. And it's thinking about as a family, how will you point to the faithfulness and goodness of God in that? What will you give that kid as an heirloom? What will you point out to that kid? How will you prepare that? So in my own family, an example might be with my young kids, I have a a journal Bible for each one of my boys, and I read through it page by page, and I put little notes of insight and prayers in their form so that one day, in a significant spiritual milestone, I will hand them this Bible to remind them of the faith of their father and, and my hope that for generations of Griffins will continue to follow our God. That's a milestone we're working towards. Now, I know I've already talked for five minutes without letting you guys talk at all. I could talk all night about time, moments, and milestones. I think there's uh, the the framework is broad enough to let any family uh, work into this, no matter what their family looks like, size of family, age of family, disabilities, whatever. And it's going to look different for everybody, but we've tried to create a broad enough philosophy that you can build on in the book. That it, We give some helpful examples, but the best examples are going to be what you come up with creatively for your own family. Yeah, that's that's just beautiful. I feel like in my face would be an emoji. It's the emoji with like the water coming out of both eyes. <laughs> that's great. Um, because it just, I think it requires something um, really significant for parents, which is to be intentional about their faith. Um, and so in order to do the time, moments, and milestones, you have to be thinking about, even when you said, um, the ambulance is coming down the street. Let's pray for whoever is in that ambulance. That we're always having our faith and how it intersects with our daily life 
on the forefront of our minds and it's not compartmentalized. We're not just, hey, I'm going to turn on the TV now for an hour and watch a service and then go back to my life. But no, this is my life. Um, Mm. And so... And just the beauty of that to have, even to be able to, I've heard a couple other fathers talk about um, giving their children things that speak of how they've prayed for them and how they have um, the discipleship they've done for them in the background. And so just the, how the people I talk to who don't have daddies like that um, yeah. and just the significance and beauty of that. Um, but I think on the flip side, you might have someone say, that feels like a lot, Adam. Um, And that sounds really nice and really cool, but I barely know Jesus myself. And so (laughs) what would you say to that person um, who feels like this might be difficult? Where would you tell them if there's a place for them to lean in after they buy your book? Um, (laughs) Where would you tell them to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think parenting is not only a very influential position, it's a very easy place to feel discouraged, to feel outmatched to feel a constant resistance from the world or judgment from the world. And so it can be a really difficult position to be in. Um, And I think a lot of what we wrote in the book is to recognize, like, listen, if if your kid's salvation was up to you and your perfect parenting, guess how many kids would be saved? Zero. If it was up to us to save our kids, no kid would be saved. We're counting on an incredibly faithful God who calls himself steadfast, who talks about chasing the wandering sheep, who loves the prodigal son, who's equipping people for the ministry he's called them to. This is who we depend on. And while uh, we may have a very busy family schedule, and I know a lot of times right now, rhythms are thrown off for families, but you may have a very busy, busy family. A lot of what we wrote in the book is ways of weaving uh, family discipleship into what your family is already doing. Your family is already eating and sleeping. Your family is already commuting. Your family is already interacting. So how will you weave in family discipleship in really sustainable ways that can make it really ordinary? Most family discipleship is not some kind of superlative experience where where everybody comes away going, that was so profound, daddy, please say it again. It's, it's more like just the faithful everyday stuff. Similar, Elizabeth, I'd love to hear you talk about this for a second, but I think when we when we think about discipleship, uh, there's kind of a version of it we think about as adults where we think of like mentoring, and then there's like in your family, you're kind of like, yeah, 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 it's like Sunday school, like they got to sit down and listen to me lecture. But Elizabeth, when people talk, uh, or maybe if, let's say it like this hypothetically, if a woman came up to you and said, well, you disciple me, and you agreed to disciple her, what kind of stuff are you going to process with her? What kind of stuff would you go through with her or lead her through? I mean, I think to me, it just is, what does it mean to live? Um, So there usually isn't this um, like 18 step or 18 week process we go through. And after we finish it, I release her to the world. Um, It is, what does it look like for me to point your eyes towards Christ? And so usually there's something specific that people want to talk about and navigate through. But how do I engage in conversation to point you towards the Lord as our relationship grows? Um, And I used to do this more when pre-COVID, like everything pre-COVID, you know, (laughs) let's just go to the grocery store. Uh, um, Let let me bring you along as I do what I do. Or if it's someone who wants to know more about teaching the Bible or mentoring people, let me bring you along as I do those things. Like as I live my life, let me have you here. And then when the teachable moment arises, I had that this past week and just 
we just talked about a lot of different things. There was no plan for it, but there was a teachable moment and I shared a lot of information in that moment. Um, but it just is, as you go along, how can we point our eyes towards Christ? How can we live wisely? How can we live out what we say we believe? And that- Amen. Yeah. And that's what you see. I think that's what you see in Jesus. You see Jesus saying, I'm going to live life next to these men. Now, I think you also see Jesus have times where he sits down and teaches. And just like you do as a Bible teacher, Elizabeth, you have class times where you could say, hey, if you want to be discipled by Elizabeth Woodson, sign up for this class I'm teaching. And you can go grocery shopping with me, you know, and you can come hang out, you know, whatever else, everybody can go. But uh, but you have both. And that's what we're saying. That's what we want in your family as well. Think about your family like that. Think about it the way you would think about discipling anybody. How are you investing in this person? Not just keeping them alive, not just trying to form them into some kind of sports hero or academic hero or musician hero. You're trying to help them understand that there's something bigger than all those things, which is a God who loves them. Now, Adam, you and Heather are tremendous parents. I've met your your wife on many occasions. I've seen your family, and you guys are really uh, an admirable clan, the Hawkinses. What do you think of, when you think about your family as a witness to the world, what's different about a Christian family and the way you're leading your kids than maybe one of your neighbors who, who doesn't love the Lord? Well, first, Adam, thanks so much for the kind words. Um, but uh, Heather's a much better parent than I am. Um, <laughs> at There are very practical ways to answer that question. But I think before answering the practical it's got to start with sort of with with the everything behind it, which is that the the difference between me and a family who is after all those other things that you just said, hopefully, hopefully, imperfectly speaking, um, is that uh, Christ is anchoring everything in my life. Um, his love for me is. Uh, filling and then spilling over into every area of my life. Uh, my um, need for him uh, is being displayed constantly, and um, um, my need is being uh, said out loud in front of my kids, etc. So, I, um, basically, I think the 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 way to put it is what what hopefully would make my household different. Um, is that uh, what is on display is that my life is not about me. It's not about making money. It's not about material things. It's not about a legacy. It's not about a blah, 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 on and on you can go. The, but my life is, or this this life is primarily about my king, and that's Jesus. And I think, you know, I've had friends tell me that what the, the ones who remember the discipleship by their parents is what you said earlier, which was that church wasn't a thing we did on Sunday, but God was just, it bled into every aspect of everything we did. So there was you know, you never watched a TV show without when you're talking about it afterwards, you're talking about God. Mm -hmm. You never talked about your friend without following that up with, do you think we should pray for him? You never talked about, do you know, it would just, yeah. it was always in front because that's what you truly treasured was Christ and your relationship with him. And so I think if you start there, um, foundationally speaking, then, then, uh, my hope is then life would look different and and hopefully as you're peeking in 
you know, if you're looking into my household and seeing how I'm raising my kids, I hope that's what you're seeing. That's you good. Know? Yeah, I think one of the cool yeah. things about the, the way the scripture portrays family is that it uses family actually as the metaphor for the church, right? We, God, when he asks us, when he tells us what to call him, he calls, he says, call him father. Like we get to call him father, father. not boss, not commander. We get to call him father. And yes, he's, met, he's yeah. much more than that. He's king. And in, in many ways, he's also mother, but he is father. He asks us to call him dad. And when he talks about our interaction with one another, it's brother and sister. It's a picture of a perfect family. Now, Elizabeth, I'd love to mm. land the plane with this, this question. I think in the scripture, there's this really cool picture. The Lord says, uh, you know, that people will know that you are Christ's disciple by the way you love one another. Mm. Uh, can you just land the plane for us as a, as a family of God who during a very divisive time where we have to swim upstream in culture why is it more important than ever that families and the family of God would demonstrate love for one another? It's the Lord, for whatever reason, has decided that he left us here to do his work. Um, and so by the power of the Holy Spirit, he uses us to introduce people to what it means to be in relationship with the one true God. That gets really difficult when his people are cold and mean and divisive and um, are quick to anger and not quick to listen um, or to be slow to speak. Um, and we see just the vileness that exists on the internet. And then we want to tell people, do you want to meet my God? And they're like, no, <laughs> because I don't want, if that's what it means to be in relationship with God, I want no parts of it. And so I think there's always this weight of what we've been called to do as image bearers, even from the very beginning, is our role as an image bearer is to point to the one whose image we bear. And so that we have family discipleship, we have discipleship, I think to be to have a mind where it is intentional and it is ordinary that whether you have biological children or you are single like me and you are in the midst of community, that you were thinking about how Christ applies to every aspect of your life. And your goal is to help the people around you do the same because the task is missional that we introduce people to the one true creator, ever living God. And this is a season in which we can distinguish ourselves. I always think back to the first century church. They did not have this massive door-to-door -door evangelism project. Nothing wrong with door-to-door -door evangelism. But what they <laughs> had were just different lives. And people are like, I see what I'm living with, and I see what you're living with. And what you have is better. There's more peace. There's harmony. There's unity. I want some of that. And this is a perfect opportunity for us to show the beauty of what we truly believe. But it means we need to bear with one another, love one another, to be a family. Um, the stakes are high. The goal is high, but it's worth it. And I think we tend to forget um, of what life's really about. And it's not about us. It's about the Lord and how we're living out life together for him. Amen. And that's as true in the family of God at large for those who don't have a family who loves the Lord as it is for moms and dads who are trying to figure out, man, how do I love my kid even when they're difficult? And how can I be lovable even when I've made so many mistakes? And that's why we turn to a God with great repentance and saying, where well, we've messed up, Lord, forgive us. And then we walk forward in confidence, blood-bought confidence in Jesus Christ. That, man, all of us have made mistakes in the way we interact with this culture, in the way we even either succumbed to it or fought against it when we should have given in, or in the way that we have failed to follow our Lord. So, 
Thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak about a project that I really care a lot about. I certainly think it is very countercultural to be discipling your kids, and it's countercultural in the best possible way. That's what we're all called to. Well, thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode is recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by the David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thanks, everybody. God bless you. <laughs>